Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, welcome along. It's a brand new episode of Writer's Routine where we're chatting to Jude Yorson. Jude co-authored Rise Up, the murky story so far with Stormzy. We talk about working on the commute, why it's important to keep flexing that muscle and why he likes to work in some odd places. I love writing at the cinema, which sounds crazy, but I've I've got like a membership. When there's a film on? I can. I've done that before many times. Last film I, I did write to was Top Gun Maverick because I, I saw that like three times and I've got um, a cinema membership that just allows me to go as many times as I want for free. So I was like, I need to be creatively inspired, but home's just not doing it right now. So if I'm not like at a, a cafe, if I'm not at a workspace, I've got like two different offices, one for my agents, one that I work with at... Um, like a magazine slash creative agency. And yeah, but my actual location is Everyman Cinema in Crystal Palace. I've been there so many times that the staff literally, some of the staff that just joined thought I worked there. There is more with Jude Yorson in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes. Welcome along to the show. My name's Dan Simpson. This is Writer's Routine, where we take a look through an author's working day to see how they get that idea from their head, plan their day, their time, their life and space to give them the best chance of getting it down on the page and getting it published. And this is a very special episode for me and for the show. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. I'll come to that in just a sec. After I say how excited I am that for a little while, Plotter are helping to power this show. They are sponsoring us just like they can power your writing. Now, Plotter is a writing tool that does what the title says. It plots. It helps you plan your books the way that you think. And it is so simple. It lets you outline faster, organize smarter and to turbocharge your productivity. When you open the software up, you get a digital cork board, which is brilliant if you're quite a visual writer because you can easily swap between the timeline, the outline. You can have all your notes there as well. You can have details on character and place. You can tag them to make it much easier for you to skim through and to find what you need. All of it's color coded as it might be in a notebook, but this is on the screen in front of you right where you are writing so you can flick through it in the easiest possible way. It lets you track all the details of your plot at a minute level and to switch and swap them however you want. The aim of Plotter is quite simple. It wants to help you spend more time writing and less time worrying about everything else. Because for us writers, don't you think we can spend quite a lot of time faffing about the window dressing of simply getting ideas and words onto the page? I know that I do that sometimes on this show when we talk about fonts where we talk about softwares they're all vitally important but sometimes they can distract from just something as simple as getting your idea down or plotter strips it back and it helps you spend more time with your words on the page the best way for you to see what it does and how stunning it looks how helpful it can be is by getting to go.plotter.com and taking a look around while you're there, you can get 20% off the software with this show. So for under £20, $22.50, you get access to this software forever to help you plan and plot your story to make you organise smarter and outline faster. 
Have a look around, see what you think. To get the deal, use the code that's in the episode notes of this show. Go through the link at go.plotter.com slash routine. So this week, it's a very special episode for me. I started this podcast back in 2017. have chatted to many, many authors along the way, over 260 episodes now. And the podcast has just tipped over 1 million downloads, which I honestly can't thank you enough for for spending some of your time. Maybe this is the first week that you've got involved. Maybe you've been listening right from the start. Thank you for coming back to get some tips and tricks and advice from some of the very best authors around. It's just me doing this. I book the guests, I read the books, I do the research, I have the chat, I do the edit, I get it out for you. And to to see that we've passed one million downloads is a little bit mind-boggling. Listens from all over the world. So thank you so much for catching up with us every single week. And to celebrate, we've got a recording of our first ever live podcast, our live show that I recorded just a few weeks ago. I teamed up with Murky Books. It's a Stormzy's publishing imprint, which looks to give a platform to voices that might otherwise get overlooked by traditional publishing houses. They put on a literature festival the other day at the Roundhouse in Camden in London. And I chatted to Jude Yawson there. Jude co-wrote the book Rise Up, the murky story so far with Stormzy. Now, murky is the team that work with Stormzy that he has put together to get stuff done. And it's the story of how they all came together to work towards one goal. And it tells of everything that led to Stormzy's groundbreaking album, Gang, Signs and Prayer. Now, grime music might not be your thing. It's not always mine, to be honest with you. But I've always been amazed by Stormzy. I remember when I first heard of who he was when he really started to break through and, and to win awards and to get some serious airplay. Because to become a phenomenally successful artist, you need a few things, right? You need... um well to write well you need performing ability you need to look the part you need to be relatable and you need that other thing that that thing that you can't define someone a bit more cliched than me might say the x factor but anyway Stormzy has it all and you instantly get it I've never met him but you just feel he's he's a magnetic force He's, he's a he's a personality And for Stormzy to have that and to make it work from where he grew up, where it seemed that no one could ever do that and break out, it's a brilliant story and it's fantastically documented and told by Jude Yawson. We talk all about it and about Jude's work writing for magazines and what's to come next. And this is the full uncut chat with Jude, recorded live at the Roundhouse at the Murky Literature Festival just a couple of weeks ago. Well, we start as we always do. Because even in a live show, it seems wrong to break tradition. So let's jump into it and hear what he sees around him in the place where he sits down to write. I think predominantly right now, my writing space is actually on my commute, which is weird. But I've I transformed my commutes into a space to listen to music, to write, to like zone out of life. And I feel like the maybe the physical action of being on the go and like kind of sailing it just allows me to float and hit that state of flowing much more so I'm often just got like a Muji pen uh, a notepad and I'm just writing with my headphones in probably look up and see other people and one thing I do notice that um like growing up I remember on the, the the trains on the buses you always see like loads of newspapers but that has gradually transformed into people just looking at their phone. They might be looking at articles, they might be looking at, um, you know, social media or responding to texts and stuff. But I'm very cautious about time. And so on the commute is where I try to utilize that time and I try not to like doom scroll and stuff. So yeah. I've been thinking a lot recently about cues that writers use to lock themselves into a creative space. Mm-hmm. So when you're there on the tube or wherever it is, the train from South London, because you can't get a tube in South London, but <laughs> <laughs> when you're on the train into work or wherever you're going, how good are you at instantly locking into whatever you're working on? Um, it depends. It depends what I'm also engaged with myself. Um, 
I recently just like finished fasting for Ramadan, mm. for example, and um, one of my the habits that I tried to dispel was just being locked into social media or conversations that didn't really bolster me or the day or didn't have like the greatest intentions. So one thing that I always like kind of think of is how much time I can spend debating football. Okay. <laughs> so we were even talking earlier like Spurs are losing that the first thing when I came in the first thing Jude said to me never met him before he went to Spurs man they're losing 4-0 <laughs> <laughs> yeah no literally and it's an enjoyable conversation I always say like um, football and a card game are like two of the biggest icebreakers in the world mm. it can invite you to have a conversation with almost anybody so I could actually spend a whole commute morning discussing the events of football like over the weekend or the midweek games and by the time you look at the you look at like the time you've already wasted like 30 40 minutes and it could be it could be that real but you're responding in lifetime to people and stuff like this and not that I don't value those conversations but I just made it an effort to be like yeah I'm spending less time doing this there's um, um a way of acting throughout Ramadan which is essentially no backbiting and okay. no backbiting means like not to talk or spend energy on things or people behind their backs like if it's not an issue like an issue that you can confront in person and if it's not like conducive to your experience throughout the day you should probably park it away so yeah I've just been much more uh, focused on time and the fragments of it that I use is there anything you do to help you lock in? So when you are on the commute or whatever, when you don't want to be chatting about football, when you don't want to be listening or doom scrolling, is there mm -hmm. anything that helps you lock in to that moment where it's yeah. you and the words on the page? I am, um, I love all forms of music and sometimes I just have to find that one mood that could set me into just falling into concentrating on that. Simply, I could also simply just like turn off my phone but, yeah, I feel like we're in an era where work and everything can exist in such a small device. So, um, yeah, I'd usually just, like, play some, like, jazz or some, like, lo-fi hip-hop or something like that. Something, movie scores as well. I love a movie soundtrack. I feel like it can put me into a story within my mind and then I'm just cast away and I'm instantly involved. Other times as well, in order to lock in, I'll just be writing whatever. It could just be like notes on an iPhone or um, docs. I love handwriting as well. I make sure I try to handwrite every day, like in a diary and for myself. So I'll just have a notepad. And when I'm writing and I'm locked in, I feel like a, I feel something that, like an impulse that just tells me that, right, you're in a state of flow right now and you do not want to quit. You don't want to stop. So I could be standing there on a pack packed train you might see me like with a little <laughs> notepad <laughs> squashed up in the corner still just trying to write and um yeah it's all about finding that state of flow for me like so many different mediums yeah so let's talk about you getting into flow state you mentioned handwriting a second ago and i'm quite nerdy and we'll talk about software and fonts <laughs> in just a second i warn you but what is it about the connectivity of handwriting that helps with creativity. Why is this a muscle that you want to keep alive and keep active? Why are you practicing it? You know what, I think it's, it's kind of like a total concentration device because when you're actually writing, it feels like you're drawing a picture, but you're not, you're actually like scribing words and like putting it together and putting a scene together. And the way my mind works, it's like, um, Loads of tangents, as you could probably tell. We've we've talked <laughs> briefly before, but um, my mind works like fireworks, and sometimes it's good for me to be able to jot down a note there, jot down a note here, and once I've like locked into like a certain way of approaching writing, it's also therapeutic. It's also very revealing. It allows me to express in ways that I wouldn't if I was typing because I'll probably delete that one thing but it's like in that split second as you're writing and the words are flowing through your hand that's what you wanted to get out so there's even sometimes I'll be writing my diary and um, I'm literally just hit like a, a certain type of mood but 
I'll, I'll allow myself to express that in the moment, whether it's like anger, whether it's sadness, whether it's like regret, or even like doubt on the thing that I'm trying to get across. It allows me to get it out there and then. And I feel like that's so much more powerful than having a setup where you want everything to look and mean well, but you actually haven't expressed yourself. You've just refined like a, a place that you want to be instead of, you know, getting it out and being able to reflect. So when I go back and I look at my diaries that I've been collecting since, probably like, like the first day of lockdown, like that's when I started to proper, properly journal. And um, I've used so many different types of prompts like over the years, but right now I'm settled on one. And um, yeah, it's, it's quite fulfilling for me. And then when I apply that to writing on actual ideas, it's like, I can have like a conversation with myself just through a pen and a paper. And by the end of it, I can have like a pretty solid concrete idea of what I want to do or produce. Working as a freelance writer, you mentioned earlier that you're commuting somewhere. I mean, we have to pay the bills. You've got this book published. You're writing so many different forms. We spoke about film and album music reviews. I know you dabble in poetry as well while still getting to, while still trying to get other novels out. How do you find the balance of writing to pay the bills and writing because you know it's a creative endeavour close to your heart? How easily do you marry those two and how much do you think one affects the other? That's a very interesting question. I've even had this discussion with my, my boy the other day. Like He was saying to me that oh, he values the fact that there's loads of things that I appreciate but... I don't mind necessarily turning that into a space of work. And how I kind of marry that, I try to see what is the worth and necessity I can bring out of this thing through my work and my writing. So there's loads of pieces that, that I write that might be in the other end of the spectrum of what people would expect by the work that I've done. So for instance, the, the book is, is still probably definitely like the one of the biggest profile things that I've done, I've also managed to interview a great spread of people now, like um, from like top Premier League ballers to top artists or top like fighters in the game and in the element. But I'll also reserve the space to write about an upcoming artist that has like one or two songs out. And I'll do that for practice, but also for the fact that I like creating and I like adding my like two pence to the situation because I know there's a worth there that loads of people maybe in this particular industry might not give that until they reach a certain level. But the worth of words and the worth of creativity is that when you do something and show someone like the respect of that time and approach and investigation into their work and craft, the same way I would do with my own things, it's not just like a throwaway idea. It's more so like, I can say that I put 100% effort into this one piece that is unpaid. It's just an email that comes from my inbox, but I'm happy to write and dedicate myself to that piece as much as I would that big interview. So the split doesn't really arise. And um, sometimes I look at some things and I think, yeah, I don't want that to necessarily become work. So for instance, um, one of my biggest is inspirations is that funny enough, Dragon Ball Z. Like, <laughs> I always say that without Dragon Ball Z, I wouldn't be a writer because it showed me a different, different story elements and ways to inspire me to write, like, fantastically. Even though a lot of my work is reserved in a space where it might be, like, factually based, so I'm writing about something concrete and in the real world, that kind of opened my eyes creativity, creatively to expand and use so many different applications to make something come to fruition. And so I look at like the wide range of things that I have and I get to kind of pick and choose what I make work, but at the same time, I can use these things as like ways to investigate that. So one of the biggest things that I want to do is interview the creator of Dragon Ball Z. Like that's probably like one of my bucket list things creatively. I think nobody from this space or side of the world has managed to have that conversation but I'd love to, and it wouldn't be work to me. I'd do that for free. I'd do that for a million pounds. You know what I mean? Like, it would, either way, it would work for me. So, yeah, it's about that. Let's talk about Dragon Ball Z, then. 
we're, we're of a similar age. When, when do you first remember analysing something like that, a cartoon anime, and, and figuring out that it was teaching you something about storytelling and writing that maybe you weren't getting elsewhere? Yeah. You know what? I've had, I've had to think about it in so many different, so many different ways, obviously, like, throughout my creative journey. But the one thing that I was kind of super subscribed to was the fact that this character development, you're able to see the journey of these characters and how they like transform over time. And as a child, yeah, you're just kind of, you're absorbed into the aesthetic of it. You're absorbed into the like super exciting moments. But um, I think actually, it's so weird. I only really had this realization probably start of lockdown when I was doing this um, journal prompt the thing that I was talking about so there's this journal prompt called the Marcus Aurelius prompt and it's like a, a diary format and setting where someone's analysed like Marcus Aurelius's meditations his books and a series of it and basically made like a, a format for a journal every day and I try to do this every day so the first paragraph is essentially a freestyle where you just get to write what's in your mind. Your second paragraph is about your ideal sage. And a sage is like the person you would like to base whatever, like it might be your day or your aspirations on. And um, I find that my sage or character that I want to emulate in so many different areas, it changes constantly. The third is about the worst, worst case scenario of the day. The fourth is about gratefulness, like knowing down what you're grateful for and the last is about your intentions throughout the day and so I've been doing that journal for about nearly three years now like every day and it's allowed me to reflect on the type of characters and people that I look at for inspiration so for a long time like my sage kind of character was like hosted as like a real life kind of person I might be like writing and saying oh I want to be like Muhammad Ali today like imagine what he was going through when he was facing adversity, being banned from boxing for the time that he's, the times that he was. And yeah, I might try to cement it in the real world, but then I realized that, hang on, these characters that I've spent so much time analyzing and loving in terms of their expressions and just that big kind of identification that's been built over years, like these are also characters to draw inspiration from. So, I even had like this one friend in a group chat that sometimes I might just be like, oh, I'm not, I'm not feeling this today. I'm not trying to do this today. I'm just want to chill. And you'd be like, oh, but what would Goku do? Like, <laughs> like what would this character do? What would that character do? And I'm like, you know what? You're right. You're actually, you're right. I don't tend to see it that way because I try to ground it in reality. It's not like those characters are going through a cost of living crisis. It's not, you know what I mean? It's not really applicable. But at the same time, when you look at the bare elements of those characters there's higher things to aspire to like whether it's like morally checking yourself subscribing to the right idea uh, developing yourself in ways so yeah like I just took it away from the fantasy of it and started to apply the real elements to real life well, let's talk about the point of the show then. So this is a podcast called Writer's Routine, if you've just joined us. So talk us through yours. A day in the life of you writing, how does it look? The moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed, very niche, quite nerdy, but just take us through the whole thing. When do you get up? When will you start writing? Okay. How long will you write for? How many words do you like to get down? I know this was a little while ago, but because this is Rise Up is the first full-on book that you've got out there just mm -hmm. try and do it with this in mind I would say it might help okay. settle you you know what I was gonna say this anyway before you said like use that book as an example but I'm very my routine can be very toxic but it works for myself okay. like so um for instance I'm the type of person that I could wake up at 4am like wash my face brush my teeth might have like a water and a tea and then I'm locked into whatever I'm writing. And um, I might not eat for like several hours, but I could be locked into it. But um, specifically with this project in mind, I was very cautious of the fact that, yeah, like Stormzy's like working on a secondary album. He and his team are like are working in so many different ways. So for instance, you had um, 
Manon, who's like a sound engineer, so she's working closely with, um, yeah, like producers on the album. Um, you also had like a spread of managers like Akua, Toby, um, Rachel as well, who are working in so many different areas. But when they come together, they're murky. And it was about capturing that at so many different moments. So I already said, like, when we're putting together the idea of the book, it was like me, you had like the murky team and Penguin, and I've just like kind of stepped into this world, but we're having discussions on how best to go about this. And I already immediately knew like, this is something I'm going to be working on around the clock. It doesn't, I shouldn't really have a time frame on this because he might finish the show at like 11 and maybe get back at like one. I would probably need to be on call to make an interview just for like 1.30 a.m. And um, yeah, I was happy to do that because there's been loads of nights I've done that anyway. I've just, just been up like, yeah, again, maybe chatting rubbish about football or them times Game of Thrones are still running, I think. So yeah, being up and watching like series on the HBO, on Sky, Atlantic, anyway. So yeah, I was making sure that I kind of live in respect of what I'm working on at the moment. And yeah, so I aim to work around the clock with that. But the actual like routine and writing of that, many interviews, like loads of transcripts, I was helped by Penguin to actually like get them typed up and like reassessing them and making sure it's stuck true to like every word and having a solid concept in order to channel everything through. So after some of the initial conversations that I had, like some of the other interviews may, may have changed. Like one thing might have popped up in conversation that I remembered and I thought, you know what, let me, let me record this little instance or let me jot down this one thing again handwriting loads of books like I probably should have even brought like my Muji notepads of like the different interviews and stuff stuff that I did for the book because um they would detail that much more but literally it was a it's a whole kind of mind map of how to approach this one project and thing and I feel like it worked out in the best kind of way what about moving on then so with what you're writing now if you've got a few novels on the go, you're writing poetry, whatever. If you had a free day to write at your leisure, how would you structure it to make it most beneficial, most ideal for you being productive okay. that day? Yeah. Um, I like finding my spaces. So as I said earlier, I love writing on commutes. Um, I also, I love writing at the cinema, which sounds crazy, but I've, I've, I've got like a membership. When there's a film on? I can. I've done that before many times. Not, not the Dragon Ball Z movie. <laughs> sure. No, like um. So for example, last film I, I did write to was Top Gun Maverick because I, I saw that like three times, and I've got um a cinema membership that just allows me to go as many times as I want for free. So I was like, I need to be creatively inspired, but home's just not doing it right now. So if I'm not like at a, a cafe, if I'm not. At a workspace, I've got like two different offices, one for my agents, one that I work with at um, like a magazine slash creative agency. And yeah, but my actual location is Everyman Cinema in Crystal Palace. I've been there so many times that the staff literally, some of the staff that just joined thought I worked there. Yeah. They used to just, yeah, just tell me like, oh, well, when, when's your shift and stuff? And I'll be like, yo, I'm... I'm writing, I'm not, don't work here. But um, yeah, so if it's not upstairs, writing there, like where the bar is, I would literally be, be just booking a random film. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch it again, but I'm going to have my docs open and just be, just be writing. I guess the question is, like, why? So... <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, you have space at home. Mm -hmm. If you enjoy doing it on the commute, you could just sit on the overground. What, what is it about CAFs? What is it about bars, perhaps? What is it about the Everyman Cinema? What is it about Tom Cruise as Maverick? That... <laughs> you know what? I think it's the creative energy, like being surrounded in a place where these things come to fruition. So I imagine... Um, Whilst I've been like writing like my novels at the cinema, for example, I can imagine, wow, like this could potentially be 
on the big screen. You know what I mean? Like this would be a place where it would feel rather fulfilled if I accomplish this and it gets to that setting. And um, I've been writing loads of like film reviews recently. I'd say that is probably my biggest thing that I want to do aside from like working on novels. So film reviews actually make sense. Like I'm reviewing a film, I've seen it three, four times already. I need to remember that one or two scenes that I might have closed my eyes for like 10 seconds. You know what I mean? So I'll book the film again and literally just be writing it whilst doing that research, like at the back of the cinema. Sometimes, a lot of the time actually, because a freelance and you know how the gig goes, it's like, I could be free at like 11 a.m. on a Wednesday and everyone else is probably at the office. So I've probably been to the cinema, like no lie, probably like 200 times by myself, just like either watching a film or re-watching a film or writing in the cinema. So um, yeah, I'll do that. I'll use it as like spaces for inspiration and it often works. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. We're back with Jude in just a sec on the show. If you've learned anything... In the course of this podcast, with over a million downloads now, over 260 episodes, if you have learned anything that has helped the way that you tell your stories, if you've managed to put published plans into actual practice, and if it's helped the way that you write, uh, you can, I guess, say thank you to us for that by becoming a backer at Patreon, by pledging to support the show at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Anything that you can give on there goes an extraordinarily long way. It helps us to keep carrying on, to keep bringing you these chats with the best authors around as often as possible. All types of authors from across the writing spectrum, from across genres, we try and tap into how they have managed to get it done, how they've been published so we can steal some of their secrets. I love having these chats for you. And if you love hearing them, hey, why don't you help us out? I know times are tight, so anything that you can throw my way goes a very long way. For that, you get merch. There is bonus episodes. There is even a way for your book to sponsor this show. And I'm extremely grateful for anything that you can sling my way. And I'm, yeah, very grateful again that we've had over a million listens and that however long you have been there, you are here right now listening. And to support us out, get to patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Let's get back to it with Jude Yorson then talking about his book, Rise Up, The Murky Story, so far. He co-authored it with Stormzy. It's the story of his team working towards the release of his huge debut album, Gang Signs and Prayer. If you've if you've never listened to Stormzy before, by the way, I think a really great entry point is Blinded by Your Grace Part 2, because it takes so many... I mean, it's probably it's one of his most commercial songs, but it, it takes so many of the elements that make him great. It, like there's aspects of the grime in there and it, it takes so much of his roots, who he is, how he grew up and he's packaged it into this brilliant, moving song. So if you do need to just dip your toe into Stormzy, maybe do it there. Now, this episode was recorded live at the Roundhouse in Camden 
at a Murky Books Literature Festival that they held a couple of weeks ago. And with Jude, we talk more about the process of writing Rise Up, also how he plans to be the best black British writer ever. And we get back to it with more about his writer's routine. How intentional is the organisation of your writing life, though? Is it, is it a case of, I have the whole day, I'm going to write from eight till eight in the morning till midday, then I'll have a break, then I'll go and write again. Mm. Is it that, or is it the flip side that's like, wow, you know, 7.30, Top Gear's on in a half an hour, let's get to it. Like, yeah. what, what's the balance? How intentional is that? I think I can work in both fashions because I've, I've had to. What do you prefer? I actually prefer, I prefer hitting the state of flow. Like, if you're flowing with anything that you're doing and you're so invested in it, it doesn't feel like work. It just feels like you're actually just immersed in what you're creating and everything is hitting. Like, there's been so many times when I've said to myself, like, I'm working on this one thing and I plan to have it done by, like, five, but it gets to 7.30, but because I'm enjoying it so much, I'm still in tune with this idea and there's that much more to go. So, for instance... um, I was writing, this is another like, side of my writing, doing copywriting for people. I, help, I love stra- strategizing content. I like seeing people's work and saying to myself, this could be X, Y, and Z. This could be like so much better if, if pitched in this way. So recently I've got a couple gigs where people have like um, hollered me to do a bit of like copywriting and put some stuff together, together for them. and. Again, in a in meeting, like, so many tangents, so many ideas will come to mind, like, so many fireworks. But then to make that coherent and actually apply it to to work, I might be like, yeah, give me a deadline. The deadline's a bit flexible, but this is the deadline. And I'd work towards that deadline. So recently, when I was working on one pitch for a client, I emailed them back and I said, I want another day on this. Even though it's done, I want to give extra hours in order to fully flesh out all of the idea because them extra like two, three hours spent in the next day when I'm that much more rested could just take that idea from like feeling 80% accomplished to like 110% accomplished. And so it's really about the idea and fulfilling it. And that's why I like working in so many different ways. Uh, Another example is... Yeah, as I've been telling you, it was my birthday the other day, so I spent like loads of time just kind of unwinding, having fun, but I needed to write a film review for a film like within the next couple of days, and I did promise it, but I said to the client as well, transparently, <laughs> I've been enjoying myself, but I will give this the time and respect of day. So I have like my kind of film review and format. I made sure to hit every point, I assess the things that I'll do in a normal kind of situation, which would be um, looking at interviews, looking at other reviews, maybe from like festivals from months beforehand. Having seen the film now, like what extra things can I add onto my understanding and tying it all together to make like a coherent review? And once I've done that and it feels fulfilled, like, yeah, it feels great. So I'm actually, I know that I want to do this and I'm happy to bend the rules a bit for myself so yeah I would say like the state of flow is my more natural state so many writers I speak to get quite focused on whether they're morning or evening people mm-hmm. what writing software they're using what font they'll write with whether they got a cup of, a cup of coffee on the go mm-hmm. how, how much does any of that bother you or are you someone that is just very good at it being you and words and your ability to make them read well. Yeah, I think more of the latter. I'm more, like, tuned into the actual words and stuff. And a bit of a tangent again, but I remember, like, when I was first starting to write or felt like I wanted to write was when I was, like, 13 years old and um, I was excluded from school, so I was spending, like, loads of time just at home um, PlayStation wires were taken and stuff like that. So I just started to, <laughs> I just started to like write more and um, create ideas, put together like little ideas for like short films and feature length films. And I was just having having fun with myself. And then um, I realized something that 
I always actually kind of working with like the bare minimum resources anyway. Like, um, it's not like in the exclusion center that you had like loads of people who, we didn't even have like that many books, for example. We would have like probably four English literature books between like five, six students and like two or three of them might be like gang members and they're not like the most social when it comes to like working on things. So in terms of the actual resources that we had, it's like I learned how to use the bare minimum, like broken pen, I could use it. Like one sheet of paper, I could I could use that. And it was more about resourcefulness and not needing the aesthetic to be the most perfect. Because I've got some writer friends who, they love a grand aesthetic and a setting to write in. And I also can appreciate that, like linking up at like a random cafe, someone that you haven't been before, but because it's nice and it's got that clean aesthetic, you're like, yeah, this is the writing thing for now. But at the same time, I have kind of mastered working with absolutely nothing. And that's why I think the commute is is fine for me. Like, I'm, like, the next carriage could be on fire, but if I'm writing, I'm, I'm writing, and it's fine for me. So, yeah. Well, let's talk about the book. So this is Rise Up, the murky story so far that you co-authored with Stormzy. Uh, tell us about what you remember five years ago now, more than that, of the, the first time that this project was mentioned to you. How was writing a... I guess an autobiography of Stormzy and his team. How did that come about? Yeah, so um, this is around like 2014-ish when like Stormzy was just like putting together his freestyles and stuff like that and he was doing like loads of work that I could see and respect and the first time I even like acknowledged him and his work was, um, I think I remember it, it's like Croydon Unsigned Stars. There was a competition where he and loads of other creators like entered and they were just like doing whatever. You could actually look back to that date and a lot of the kind of creators from Croydon who were doing things in that, they're doing things like in and around the scene or in different industries. And so, yeah, it was pretty sick. So um, I got to see his journey organically kind of like rise to what it was. And around 2014-ish, uh, or was it 2015? I'm, yeah, forgetting a bit, but it was literally those early years. He just sent me a DM because I was also working on my. Um, I had a blog called The House of Horus, where I used to write content about like philosophy, um, questions about like oh, the problem of evil, God. I'd write about aesthetics. I'd write about all these deep, kind of heavy philosophical topics. But even then, I realised that. I was straying away from my creative stuff that I was doing when I was younger. So I wanted to get back into the creative way of writing and then started to, to apply it more to real-life concepts and relate it back to, to people. But even in the deep, heavy, philosophical stuff that I was writing, when I was checking who was sharing it, like Stormzy was one of them. And it was kind of strange to me then because I could see this guy who's gradually taken off in like the music sense and he's like sharing, not even just mine, but a spread of other people's work and content, the things that they're doing. And it was just like, it was, yeah, it was it was great. And I feel like then, that moment kind of triggered the respect and even made me double down and be like, yeah, like I've been sharing your stuff anyway, but because I'm seeing you support so many other people, I'm gonna share your work as well. And um he must have messaged me, like, just DM'd me. He said, like, bro, I love your writing. One day we're going to work together. And I was like, all right, cool. Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> like when you're ready, just, yeah, just, just shout me. And then a couple years later, yeah, probably, like, three years later-ish, he must have just, like, messaged me and said, yo, like, now's the time we're looking to set something up, which would become, like, murky books, like, eventually. But um, yeah, it was initially from them conversations and then ended up meeting with his manager, well, one of his managers, Akua, and um, Penguin, like Tom Avery. I'm not sure if you remember him, but like, um, yeah, he was also working with, with Penguin. We had like a, a meeting and a discussion about how this book should go. And um, 
Yeah, I was just making sure. My my one thing was that I wanted it to be an organic kind of like story and process and telling of everything that made Murky into what it was and, and like is. And yeah, so we established a, a format for it and then we're just like, okay, let's, let's go. Like, let's start with the interviews. First interviews were with his managers, like Toby and Akua. And then the third was with... Like the third, first one was with like Stormzy, and then we just gradually interviewed more members of the team and built up like a solid perspective of how this came to be. And as I was doing those interviews, I could just tell that we're putting together something special, like something where, which it respects all the other creators in the process as well. Because I feel like once, a lot of the times when people are creating something like this they'll just uphold like the superstar and not recognize all of the different elements that go into putting together something like this. So yeah, like it was, it was great. It was an amazing project to put together. It's absolutely the autobiography of the team, not just Stormzy. I mean, we meet Stormzy in, in the book, as you say, around 2014, 2015, when we were first starting to see what he's capable of. Uh, you mentioned, if you've not, and I've read the book, yeah, it's all made up of different conversations that Jude had with various members of the Murky team. And it's spliced up in a way that does lead you through the narrative to 2018, right after he's released Gang Signs and Prayer. Uh, you mentioned that you felt that was the best way to tell this story. How did that become apparent to you? When, were there any other thoughts along the way of different ways that you might tell yeah. the Murky story? I was thinking... Because I'm someone that, like, um, I value perspective and perception so much. I value the fact that, that anyone can tell a story, but it's more so like a domino effect of, like, different inspirations and ideas. So there's even this tangent again. There's even this one, like, idea that has stuck with me. Like, um, it's like 2015. I was a part of a workshop, and... Um, I feel like everyone's heard of Sundance Festival, but there's a rain dance festival thing that goes on. Like, um, forgot where it's hosted, but we're having discussions about like screenwriters and directors and producers. And this director went up on stage and was uh, was like just basically talking about the whole filmmaking process and everything. And um, I asked him a question about script writing and the importance the importance of it in like the process of like making a film and um because i always see like directors and even producers like bigged up for amazing films but you never really get to hear of the scriptwriter, and that kind of made me a bit worried because i wanted to write scripts before i started to write like um in the fashion that i do now and so um when i asked him yeah how important are like scriptwriters in that process and he said they're not important at all and at first I was bamboozled, but he was like, oh, let me explain what I mean. And he was like, when a director gets a script, you've got to think of the director as like a lens for this information. So whatever goes through the lens of the director, like, it builds a whole new perspective automatically. So you could have an original script. If it goes through Chloe Zhao, it's a, it's a different film. If it goes through Quentin Tarantino, it's a different film. And it's like, so from that, I was thinking, in this sense, I'm the scriptwriter and the director, and no one else can do this like me. So once I was like one or two interviews in, I kind of had like all the confidence in the world. I was just like, you know what? I'm going to make something totally unique. Like you probably could have got like the best like white writer in the country to do this that's that's the level storms he was at you could have asked anyone to do it but he wanted someone like me to do it understanding the platform that it would give me but also the unique perspective that it would make and so yeah from that point i just knew like this is a, a unique thing in itself that only someone like me someone from a similar background like Ghanaian from South London where essentially age mates like only I could produce something like this anyone else well there, there could have been other people who also produced such a thing but 
again, the scriptwriter and the director. So, yeah. Well, it's clear in the book how well you know and how well you're similar in, as I say, where you're from and, and it grew up around the same ends as a lot of the people in the book. How important was it for you to make them as familiar to the readers as they are to you? Like, as readers, we can't simply be chucked into this story. We need to be familiar with these characters and we may be only kind of picking up their thread every four pages or so. How much thought did you give to not dropping the reader into the complete unknown and bringing them up to speed like you know them? Yeah, I think, and that's where we like concentrated on this being an organic story and having everything kind of build together and collide. So I was like understanding where things began and how we got to this point. Like, this, there could be so many starting points. Like, we could have literally started from, if it was a normal autobiography, we might start from the conversations that Sonsi was having about being a child in church and acknowledging, like... Because he says this one thing where he, where he said there was this one note in church that one of the singers in the choir used to always hit that kind of inspired him to start music. And it was like, if he always thinks, when we're having a discussion about that, he was always saying that, he always thinks, if that guy in the church wasn't trying to hit that one note beyond like what the choir was doing, like, would he be inspired to like do his thing and be committed? And the power of a domino effect in creativity and inspiration is that small, but also that big. Because again, if that guy wasn't trying and it was quite stiff and rigid, he might not have that feeling to to do that thing. So it was about really linking up all of the organic stories and how it intertwined. I wanted to understand how like Akua transitioned from just working at Adidas or why she even chose to end up working at Adidas. Like she had a love for advertising. I wanted to understand like how Toby and Stormzy's relationship kind of fostered. They were talking about how um and I'm sure we've all had this. We've all had like big major ideas where we've had loads of friends and they're all like, yeah, like, yeah, let's do it, let's do it. And when you actually get there, only like two or three people are actually committed to the cause. That's what Toby and Stormzy kind of had to go through in order to get there. And then you also had like characters like, like Flips for me, like he actually wasn't talking so much when we were doing the, the book, but I also managed to piece together like how he came into being the type of person that he is and the way I see it another weird reference but I'm not sure if anyone here has played GTA but you know that the question mark on the map like that's basically flips his presence in that <laughs> building up to when he started to like work with, with Stormzy it was like he would appear at moments in which yeah cause so many like different waves and transformations in their lives together and yeah they're, they're such a to like tight friendship now and so yeah it was really about piecing together like how everyone came into their own and then once we had that picture we could see like all of the timelines kind of like converge and come together and exist as one and that's what opened up the pathway for the book quite a lot of it focuses on Stormzy and the team making gang signs and prayer and a lot of that it talks about Stormzy wanting to lay it down and say, like, look, this is who I am. I'm not just a grime rapper. I'm, I'm influenced by so many different cultures. Almost this is who I am, take it or leave it. How much is, is this book that for you, almost? Or is that still to come? You know, laying mm. your talent down there as a writer and being like, look, this is what I can do. Yeah, you know what? I think, again, like I was saying about the director kind of conversation, like, I always look at this, and I've had so many conversations about it, and I love it. Like, it's a brilliant, brilliant book, and it was a brilliant moment in time for me to express, like, all of my creativity, in a sense. But I do sometimes look at it, and when we're having that conversation, loads of people will basically tell me, like, oh, um, I couldn't do something like that. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. And it's like, you actually can, but you just have to build up the the confidence and the understanding of your unique perspective and what you bring to the table. Like, there's so many different qualities and people there to be exposed. It's just that they won't have, like, the platform or 
the identity or maybe even the passion to do so. And I thought like in that case, I was the person to trigger that and be like, yeah, this is what we can do and this is the sickest way we can go about it. But for myself, and one thing I kind of pride myself in is there's still like a lot more to come. Like um, uh, this is like a book that is obviously biographical and based on a team and how it all organically came together. But again, like I was saying about Dragon Ball Z and the fantastical aspects of me, I think there's so much more to come that this is almost a blessing in disguise to be like the first thing because it really showed and pushed the boundaries in terms of the things that I could do. So now, like through that, I got more opportunities to do stuff like workshops. Like I've talked at so many schools like up and down the country from like even like in Edinburgh to you know somewhere like Bristol I've done like so much work on the back end of this book that I wouldn't have saw myself doing or see myself rather doing in like a million years but I'm someone that accepts challenges I like to push the boundaries a bit and that was an example of it but um, yeah there's so much more to come like I think or rather I hope like when I get into my novel bag and like write more kind of story based stuff people would see what I'm saying because yeah that's a bit of an untouched space right now well just let's touch on that space and what is to come next right you say somewhere in the book I can't remember if it's in one of your bits or if it's like in the blurb you say uh, you are or you want to be the greatest black British writer ever yeah. How are you making that happen? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a real question. You know what? Um, they allowed me to gas myself up, and I love yeah, it. There's a lot of that, I, by the way, which I, I think I love it. Like, again, like, I feel like you have to be kind of loud, proud, and strong. And I think by going, going about that for myself would be and to be fair I've kind of like developed from then I don't want to just be like oh the greatest black British right I would probably want to say more so writer in general but there's so many different forms of writing to like conquer and get better at that it's it's an enormous challenge and as I said I like challenging myself and in terms of going about that like I want to write a bit of everything like if I'm doing poetry, I would want to be brilliant at writing poetry. If I do film reviews, I want to be a super notable film reviewer. Like, I know there's some poets who that's, like, their life work, and I feel like poetry is also a space in which you can't really claim to be the best because it's so, like, subjective, right? It's the same with, like, art and stuff like that. So how I'm going about it is I'm just, like, ticking off things on my list, so... Over the past year, for example, um, I've managed to conduct interviews with like Raheem Sterling. Um, I done a David O interview last month. I spoke to like Leon Edwards. Um, I even spoke to like Paddy Pimblett, but for some reasons like that didn't even like, come out eventually. But I've spoken to like so many different actors and like sports personnel and all of this and it's like taking things off my writing bucket list and I feel like that statement's more so something for myself because I also have this kind of sense of doubt where it's like if I haven't done X, Y and Z I can't claim that so what they let me do there is to just basically gas myself up and put myself on the radar so even like with that comment and, and stuff like that it's funny because um, I remember uh there's someone, there's, there's this guy, like, absolute, like, grime legend, like, Wiley and stuff like that, and he was even, like, looking at the book and was taking, like, pictures of it, and he took a picture of, like, the kind of comments like that that I was, that I was saying, kind of like, I think he took it in a way as if to say, like, oh, look what these, these guys are doing, they're just, like, styling, but I found that so empowering, like, it was, it was good to see that people kind of see and acknowledge, like, the energy that we're putting into a book or putting into something like Murky Books in Hull. There's so many people here that deserve to be hosted on like different levels and platforms and yeah that's one of them. Just like cheekily giving myself the gas in a, in a book. So whenever I pick that up and I'm reading it, I might cringe for like two seconds but 
for the rest of the time, I'm like, yeah, like, I did that. <laughs> Thank you so much to Jude Yorson for coming on the show. The new book, Rise Up, The Murky Story So Far, is out right now. And thank you so much to the team at Murky for having me along at the Roundhouse up in Camden for your literature festival. Uh, Now, uh, there's no episode next week, but we will be back the week after with loads more and we're going to have a good unbroken run of fantastic authors giving you the secrets of how they tell their stories. So make sure you're following the show wherever you get your podcasts. That episode will automatically download. Uh, you can get in touch with the show at writersroutine.com or on Twitter. We are at writerspod there. And you can support us at patreon.com forward slash writersroutine. And I will see you in a little while. Until then, bye. Even on a budget, Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.